0: This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is March 21st, 2023. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the magnificent Simon Belanger. Uh, dude, I was looking for some more adjectives for you and i just threw it in the chat gpt i'm getting a little like reliant on it you know like it takes a while to build these kind of software habits i'm starting to make ways with the ai thing this is for real man
1: did she uh professor love to you or what or just uh... <laughs> <laughs> the the is it a her what, I don't was know. Yeah. Mean? Wasn't there yeah, like I, uh, it, when they did <laughs> testing, it became like Sydney when it was the more personality one. So I just oh. assume it was a her because of that. Yeah. The, a rid, like the lead engineer CTO at,
0: uh, at OpenAI is an Albanian woman and she is a, just crushing it. Um, and she's like one of the lead inventors, right. Who wrote the, the algorithm and uh yeah she she's crushing it. All right, let's get into it here. We got some some news, uh some stuff hot off the press and uh yeah, I think it's lots of good news and then we'll we'll round it out here with of course more banking uh information here with the Credit Suisse uh acquisition or merger. You know what's funny? I don't know if you caught this, but Credit Suisse's press release called it a merger. And UBS's press release called it an acquisition.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with UBS on that one and I'll explain why. (laughs) I agree. uh, Yeah, KD Swiss is not really in a position to be uh, merging with anyone. I'll just say that. Exactly. All right, let's start it off with Mint Mobile. Uh, They sold
0: to T-Mobile. Last episode, you and I talked about Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Mint Mobile is his company he owned it, reported 25% stake in it. He did all the commercials, all the media, um, advertising. You know, bringing his influence to the business, and uh, they're being acquired for one point three five billion. Um, the wild part here is he had also sold his stake in that uh, the aviation gin company just a few years ago, which, by the way, is really good. Like, uh, I feel like celebrity alcohols are usually hit and miss. His is really good. So, uh, hey, hey, Ryan, Mr. Reynolds, nice work. Uh, you are not on the dirt and ramen diet that, uh, I'm on for quite some time now. I so said, congratulations on being ridiculously rich. The Vancouver native is now completing side quests at this point. Like he's just, cho- <laughs> he's just chalking up side quests. Um, do you think he's going to buy the senators?
1: I think uh, I don't know, but I know he's in one of the bids. So there's several groups, okay. and I think they're moving to the next stage now. Um, I know my wife would be delighted for him to buy the sense because <laughs> she's a she's a big fan, and obviously he'd be in Ottawa more often if he owned them. I'm sure he'd be uh, you know check out the yeah. games a bit more. So it's interesting. I mean, obviously he'd be able to you know pony up a bit of money, uh, especially with that s- sell of Mint Mobile to uh, Mint Mobile to T-Mobile. Or T yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mobile, <No way>. mobile, <laughs> mobile tomato, yeah. Mobile, 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, you know that maybe that's his next side quest for the for the actor uh, is to just own a hockey team. Uh, that's just the ultimate Canadian side quest. Um, speaking of news here, this is this is a big one. Uh, take it away.
1: Yeah, so last week, overshadowed by, (laughs) you know, a few banking uh, issues down south and globally, uh, regulators approved the CP acquisition of Kansas City Southern. Now, for I'll just give a little bit of a background here, just so people who are new to the podcast and maybe are not very familiar with this. So the Surface and Transportation Board, STB, was the regulatory body in question here they approved that sale subject to certain conditions it was in a trust side had been in a trust for like over a year at this point uh, because these type of acquisitions they are reviewed mostly from a competition perspective to make sure that the merger will not reduce options from shippers in general that's kind of what they're looking at but they looked at all different kind of things the merger will make and They were referring to CPKC here, so I'll probably talk about the new company this way, as the first company to have a single line railway connecting the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. So that's a very big thing. The STB stated that the transaction would provide several benefits, including taking approximately 64,000 truckloads um, off the roads annually adding over 800 new unionized jobs in the u.s it could improve efficiency as well since now it's a single line service it could foster new national railroad passenger opportunities help reduce uh, costs for shippers increase competition with other class one carriers a class one carriers is a carrier earning more than 500 million in annual revenues so i don't know how many there are that are not class one to me are pretty much all the publicly traded one would fall in that category, including Canadian national rail. Now, some of the conditions of approval, very focus on the competition aspects. So, um, they will allow shippers to challenge cpkc if there are price increases that are imposed beyond the rate of inflation cpkc will need to continue providing reciprocal switching access for shipper facility as they have today so no change there conditions to ensure that shippers have options and they are not reduced because of the merger there are also environmental requirement including the stipulation that trains cannot block public crossing by more than 10 minutes essentially that is imposing a limit on the length of the trains which has been a big concern from communities especially if you live close to a railway you probably don't want the trains to be never-ending and i remember the first time i went to banff that's when i realized how long these trains can be like we had a railroad crossing it must have been like 10 minutes just never-ending and the, the, the last- trick is always turn the car off because it is going to be longer than you think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put it in park, turn the car off and, uh, you know, hang out for a bit that's it and the last two are more um the the last one actually here it's establishing community liaison roles for chicago and houston for a period of at least seven years and that seven year period is actually the period that the stb will have oversight on the merger operations so um, they're definitely going to be keeping a close eye on it i don't know what the repercussions would be within that seven year period if cp uh casey actually you know breaches some of these agreements, I'm sure there's going to be negotiations and uh, making sure they get back in line. But uh, some big news, the uh, acquisition or the decision is effective April 14, 2023. So there is a period where they can allow people to, uh, I guess, voice their discontent or request appeals, I think, uh, until then. This is a -a
0: once-in-a-lifetime acquisition, merger, whatever you want to call it. Maybe consult with Credit Suisse and UBS on the on the terms there. Uh, it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. I think this is absolutely massive uh, for this new entity. Um, the rails are obviously incredible businesses, and consolidation at this stage is very difficult, given their size and the regulatory concerns of anti-competitive natures of it and the fact that this went through is pretty incredible i think cp and and kcs are in really good shape here to just have such a dominant force with an extensive network goes from canada all the us and into mexico it is truly kind of a once in a lifetime type deal another thing is that I, I think is funny here is like you mentioned it with the with these rails if you <laughs> Sometimes, you know, if you catch the beginning of it and you're sitting there in the car for a while, you're like, wow, <laughs> the economy moves a lot of stuff. Do you just like this is just stuff, endless amounts of stuff. It is uh, it's pretty incredible if you never have taken the time to or or, or been unfortunate to take the time of watching one go through.
1: No, exactly. I mean, I think I've said it before. I think if you're looking at CP here, uh, it's probably going to be more growth than Canadian National Rail. Canadian National Rail will offer better return of capital to shareholder. Um, their network is nothing to sniff at either. It's basically Canada uh, coast to coast and all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. The main difference is doesn't connect to Mexico as well. So, uh, but we still, you know, we have two very impressive. Rail railroads uh here based in canada now we'll move on to our other topic here uh for those who are under 18 just make sure you put your earmuffs on earmuffs
0: on earmuffs on this is a family show so i'll keep it family show um but i'm bringing it up because it's canadian news uh if you're not familiar with one of the most visited websites on the internet it uh, the be- beginning rhymes with horn, and the second part rhymes with cub. And it was sold to private equity company named Ethical Capital Partners. I am not making this up. We are truly living in a simulation. So the owner of said website, uh, adult website, is from Montreal, from a company named Mind Geek. And they were sold now to a Canadian, so Canadian companies sold to a Canadian private equity firm named Ethical Capital Partners. This is pretty funny um, timing as this, this website has been under a lot of attack through the years for human rights violations, human trafficking. Um, there was a Netflix documentary that just recently came out that's on the cover of Netflix when I went on last night. Uh, I have not seen it yet, but I I can assume what it's about. And uh, this is chalk this up into the the vegan ETF with uh, ironic names.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, we're halfway through, my wife and I, through the documentary. So far, it's good. I think they do a, a good job of trying to look at all the different perspective, um, so all the different viewpoints. Um, So, it is definitely interesting. It's funny that uh, that happened because we had, like, started watching, I think, a day before. So, I don't know. I guess, uh, I don't know if they didn't want the bad press or what it was. They just decided to sell it. So Yeah. Next, you know, Ethical
0: Capital Partners is going to buy up um they're going to roll up strip clubs uh maybe some tobacco companies and who knows what's next uh hard drugs I'll roll roll it all up into the ethical capital partners and then bundle it into that nice vegan ETF and we have truly meet, uh, we've truly hit maximum ESG compliance uh so uh, you know a little bit of irony here you know, I don't know really know what to say to this, but we are truly living in a simulation. Uh moving on, we got um US CPI. CPI. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Canadian, and hot Canadian. The that was press, today, uh,
0: I think right yeah
1: yeah that was today exactly so I, I originally I forgot it was coming out today so I originally just uh, did the u.s. because we had missed it and the important obviously of the u.s. in the economy and then Canadian one came out so I'll break down both I'm actually gonna focus a little more on the u.s. part just because of the implication with what we've seen with SVB and the regional banks uh, you know as a whole struggling in the u.s. now for Canada, Canada's CPI came in at 5.2%. That's a headline number year over year, which is actually lower than what economists were predicting at 5.4%. Food remained high, unfortunately, at 9.7%. I keep saying it, but it impacts lower household income a lot more because there's a higher proportion of their budget that actually goes to food and shelter and shelter also remained high at 6.1 percent energy was one of the few areas that declined it declined by 0.6 percent and year over year everything was actually up except energy Uh, obviously the increases are slightly less than they were month over month everything was up with the exception of transportation energy once more and the three core cpi metrics used by the bank of canada were also down slightly versus january which is good because it's continuing to trend down from uh, late in 2022 so that's one of the things that they're keeping a close eye on so maybe you know maybe Tiff was on to something with pausing the rates. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, overall, I think some pretty good news there. Before uh, any comments, before I move on to the U.S. data, no. Uh, if we've gotten a lot of new listeners to the show, uh,
0: and if you're new listeners to the show, we appreciate you. Welcome aboard. this This train ain't stopping. We we're always here, and we are always growing. So maybe we should read rewind a little bit. Uh, It's elementary, but not for if you're new to the show. CPI just means the good old consumer price index, which is what the government uses to quantify inflation. Um, And I'm actually in my next segment going to talk more about CPI and some alternative measures that are coming out. But uh, that's my only comment.
1: Yeah, exactly. And CPI will also be typically used for indexing uh, various, uh, for example, like pensions. So if you're looking at a pension that's fully indexed inflation, usually they'll be gauging that on the CPI data and indexing. Uh, believe as well. CPP is also indexed, which uses, um, CPI data. So just something to keep in mind. It does have, you know, some real world, real world implications. Now, for the US, for the last 18 months, the US CPI data was always a big point of focus, obviously, uh, for the financial markets and for obvious reasons because we're seeing everything kind of increase in price. So headline inflation there was 6%. course, CPI came in at 5.5 month over month the overall inflation was 0.4 percent food also stayed high at 9.5 percent shelter remained high as well at 8.1 percent used cars continue their trend downwards uh, being down 13.6 percent energy was actually i think energy was up 5.2 percent here i'll have to double check i feel like i miss uh i may have made a mistake here in my notes but that's okay most things are still trending month over month with the exception of energy use cars and medical care services it will be interesting to see what the fed decides to do this week based on the data especially because of the over, you know the financial system and its stability so they have to juggle quite a few things financial system stability inflation and also employment which by the way job numbers came in strong a few weeks ago for the u.s at 311,000 although these are notoriously revised so don't be yeah, surprise if it's revised a few months down the line. And like I said, the Fed is in a tough spot here. Really, I think they have three options. They continue raising rates aggressively to quell inflation, but potentially causing even more financial stability problems, even, you know, as far as a severe recession. That could be one of the outcomes here to stop rate hikes and potentially even lower them later this year because the stability of the financial system is at risk or three which i think it's probably the most likely slow down rate increases so maybe a few smaller rate hikes in the next meeting than a pause like uh, bank of canada is doing just as they gauge inflation and uh, make sure that nothing else is blowing up on uh on the banking side it is
0: uh an interesting situation right now, because of the situation that, that the the u s is now in, that they were not in two weeks ago, ish like you know what I mean these, like oh yeah, the direction that everything was headed it is now just feels so different uh and I have no idea how these people sleep at night <laughs> like. This job, dude. This job. I hate. I thank goodness me. I, I count my lucky stars every morning that I don't have this stupid job of working at the Fed. Uh, so you you think you think the most likely is is a, a slowdown in in hikes. That's probably that's probably consensus at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I haven't looked at the Fed watch tool, but that's probably what it's looking at. I mean, the markets, the bond market is, has slashed the expectations for interest rates. I talked about that a few episodes ago. So as SVB, just before the collapse, the five year U.S. treasury was 5.34%. Since then, it's gone down all the way to 3.56. Wow. And it went like way, way down within just a few days following the fallout. It's actually up slightly 10 basis point in the past couple of days. But I think that shows you what the the bond market is actually kind of longer, medium, longer term. I think they're projecting that the Fed will have no choice but slowing down and potentially even, well, they're saying they're going to have to cut at some point sooner than later. Have you seen true flation? This is what I was hinting at before. True inflation. Um, not until this morning when I was doing my notes one. and I saw your notes, so I, I I went on the website and had a look. Uh, so I'll I'll give my take after okay, that. Cool. Yeah. Um,
0: I I thought you might have seen it because I know it's popular with Bitcoiners because you know Bitcoiners are the first to look at the CPI numbers and call BS. Like it's kind of in their It's in their nature. <laughs> it's in their blood. Yeah. It's in their like the way they see the world. Um, and they're probably right uh, that it's mostly BS and so people have been coming out with these like alternative data sets for what they think the true inflation number is or or at least a more accurate and more complete view of what the inflation number is and I've seen it attempted in a few different ways but this one looks quite interesting and I'll I'll give a disclaimer here I have not, looked through the data sources hand combed, like with completeness. But they they say here that they use over 40 plus data sources and vendors, and over 10 million data points. And it's updated daily, uh, compared to, you know, monthly with CPI. And they say it's, you know, very unbiased and whatever. Now, there's no secret that there's a lot of problems with the with the government-reported consumer price index uh, for reporting inflation. There's many knocks on the, the methodology. You know, it's kind of, It seems kind of biased. No, this is the alternative d- data set. And what I find quite fascinating is that it actually appears to me that they don't have an agenda, which I like, because in Q2 of last year, they said that inflation was much higher than the reported number. They said that it was at over 12% year over year in April of 2022. And that's kind of like where you and I thought it might be, like you know, low low double digits. And that which was higher than the CPI reported number. But now it's actually saying that it's lower than the government reported CPI number, saying that inflation's actually cooler than what the government's reporting. And so that's very interesting, right? Because it's not just elevated with this data set all the time above the CPI number. It's actually saying that inflation's running cooler than what the CPI is reporting. But back last year, it was running way hotter than what the CPI number was reporting. And um, I, I just thought that that was a interesting data point. Um, now that you have looked through it very briefly, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I was just uh, looking because there's um, there's a section on their methodology and what weighting they provide for each area. Um, so just for comparison here, so they give about 15% weighting to food and a non-alcoholic beverage, whereas Canada, I'm just going to look at Canada here. It's about, it's around right in line. I think it's around 15 16%. It's just a graph here. And then housing is one of the bigger differences. They give 23%, whereas the government of Canada is closer to 30%. So that's one of the bigger differences here. Um, overall, my thought, I mean, it's interesting. I think there's issues with both this one and this official CPI. And the issue is they're just using a average consumer perspective. But if you're high up on the, you know, the spectrum, you're really wealthy, clearly like food's going to be a tiny, tiny percentage of all your expenses because, you know, if you're a multi-multi-millionaire, I mean, you're not eating proportionally, right? Like you're, yeah, you may buy some more expensive food to restaurants and stuff like that, but it's still not going to be the 15% that they're saying here. And vice versa, if you're a really low income household, then the food component will probably be higher than that 15% that both sides have. So I think, you know, there's always going to be issues with whichever perfect number perennially. Exactly. That's it. Because people look at it and then they just think, oh my God, but you really need to look at it from a personal basis to see what the true impact of inflation is on you. It may be higher than this, it may be lower, uh, but that's my, my take on it. Yeah, it is a perennially
0: imperfect number that has flaws in many ways. One thing I will say is, I haven't played around with it, but it looks cool on their site. What you can do is you can adjust the weighting's Uh, you can like kind of build your own inflation number based on adjusting the weightings of housing, of food, of transportation, based on what you are experiencing. So say you know what your budget is, you know, you export that little like view that you get from your bank that shows what you're spending on your credit card as it like categorizes your expenses. And you could come up with your own CPI number. Um, eh, That's an interesting tool. I don't know how useful it is, but it's at least kind of fun. Let's uh, move on to our first bit of earnings here. Um,
1: Is it the only earnings? I think so. I think
0: it is the only one. Let's hear it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, OK. So this one, um, Alimentation couche they had their earnings and some pretty major news that happened last week. So Alimentation couche has agreed to buy 21, well, let's just round it up, 2200 gas station from French energy giant Total Energies uh, for a total of 3.1 billion euros. Uh, Malimentation Cushant expects to finance this with a combination of available cash, existing credit facility, U.S. commercial paper, and U-term loans. The stations are primarily located in Germany, the Netherlands, and there are some in Belgium and Luxembourg as well. Um, yeah, any thoughts on this? I mean, it really seems Thank like they're you. doubling down on the gas station. <laughs>
0: This is uh this is their bread and butter, man. Um the gas stations are their bread and butter. I was filling up gas at uh Circle K, which is, you know, their flagship brand here in the US and now in Canada. Uh and I was filling it up and it, it stings and I was paying in US dollars cuz I'm in the states. And it stings a little more knowing I sold the stock too early. <laughs> like, looking yeah. at the looking at the pump, I'm like Oh, this is expensive when you put it into Canadian dollars. And then I looked up and I oh no, I sold the stock so early, like a hundred percent ago. Look, the reality is is um this management team has been unstoppable. It's B- Bouchard, right? Bouchard. Well, what's his name? I think his it's first I think it is. Name? I like- yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is it Anna? Yeah. Yeah, it's l uh, they're all they're all in. All the Canadian app, uh, okay, Canadian French Canadian capital allocators. They're all in. No, Elaine Bouchard, not uh not Bedard, not to be conv- not to be confused. Um they are really good at these deals. Uh they have shown it time and time again. I have no reason to doubt them. I have not looked into this deal extensively, but I have absolute confidence that they know what they're doing. And you're right, they're continuing to double down on the gas stations, which is kind of the the bare case. But last time I checked, these uh, internal combustion engine cars aren't going away tomorrow. So I, I guess it's an existential risk, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, exactly. And their Q3 earnings was, I think, okay. Um, I'll just go over the, the highlights here. So total revenues were up 8% to 20 billion. Merchandise revenue was up 3.5%, whereas transportation fuels revenues were up nine percent to 14.7 billion now total gross profits were up 4.3 percent the operating margins were actually down 40 basis points and net earning were down 1.2 percent to 737 million eps was up 4.3 percent to 73 cents a share um clearly overall i think it's it was okay numbers um, the issue I have with some of their numbers is there's still expenses that are quite high and you're seeing here revenues are going up eight percent but the net earnings were actually down so what that tells you is that you know between the top line and the bottom line there's a lot of stuff going on that's <laughs> that's going up so that's probably the easiest way to, to put it there and transportation fuel is fine it's just you know it's highly volatile and the margins will actually vary quite a bit on there and keep in mind here that sgna expenses have increased 6.4 percent for the quarter and 7.9 percent for the first three quarters of fiscal year 2023 so overall good but i mean clearly we're still transitioning towards a more ev world Uh, governments are you know, pushing that agenda quite a bit. I know we saw the announcement that Volkswagen will open a battery EV plant in Saint Thomas, Ontario. So that's just an example of it as well.
0: So if you go on to
1: Stratosphere and you
0: type in Amanteshankushard ATD TO, there's a total return thing you can put on the uh, on the chart to see. You know, after dividends how this thing has compounded. So if you go all the way out 26 years of data, the CAGR on this stock take a take a just wild guess.
1: I'd say probably around 20%, 25.3%
0: CAGR total return after dividend. So it was a good guess. I mean it's yeah. it's a, it's a high number and 25 is an even higher number. That is bonkers. Like that that is like one you know, put it in the, the hall of fame of, of stock returns here in Canada. That's unbelievable and it keeps marching higher. These guys are on to something here.
1: Yeah, I think my biggest thing with them, and I I mentioned it before, is just you know, it's kinda you know, it's an awesome track record, but the issue is going forward, the dynamics are way different. Totally. Uh clearly, I mean, they're They I don't know how many what percentage of current convenience store they own in North America and Europe, but it's it's a very high percentage. So I think there's going to be more limited opportunities to grow and uh, they're going to have, I mean, a decade down the line, they're going to have to find some alternatives to those gas station or convert them into EV stations. I don't know. Right. So that's the, the biggest kind of bear case for them.
0: Funny you should ask. We track these wonderful metrics uh, over time. And right now, they have 14,332 sites owned in their network. About uh, 2,000 of them are leased and another 12,000 are actually owned and operated. Uh, this is adding on what? Uh, almost, yeah, just a little over 2,000 sites. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they 15%. Ex- yeah.
0: They have experimented with all kinds of stuff, including this pilot there in Norway, where they have the most population of electric vehicles in the world. And they have said with their pilots of being like an EV-first recharging station, that the results are actually really, really good, and the business is sustainable, and know reasons x y and z this works i have my doubts i gotta be honest i have my doubts for work i used to drive this this plug-in hybrid and i would go from toronto to pickering to the nuclear plant and back and i would get there and back on just the plug-in electric it had another like 350 kilometers of gas but I would go there and back 90 kilometers just with the electric, the electric battery. And then I'd go back. I'd basically be running out of the electricity right when I park. But I just made it. And then I'd plug it not use a lick of gas. And I made it pretty far. Like a reasonably long commute there and back. You know, 90 clicks. And I just thought to myself, if I had this car... And I hadn't a fully electric car or a plug-in hybrid. And the pump, a.k.a. fuel, a.k.a. electricity, is in my garage. I ain't going to a station, man. Like it's way, way cheaper and way more convenient to charge at home. Like if you had a gas pump in your garage, would you ever go to the gas station unless you're on like a really long trip? Probably not.
1: Yeah, and if you're a long trip, then the question comes in, like, how quickly does it charge, right? So, you want something that's convenient. You don't want to be sitting 45 minutes to an hour, you know, on your way to Toronto from Ottawa, uh, adding an hour extra to your trip or whatever it is. Like, I don't know how quickly they charge. Um, That's probably the – that's my other question here because that would be discouraging for people for sure. They're pretty quick. Um because this, the the
0: superchargers, like the high voltage ones, you can get like 150 kilowatts of power, and they the, you, you can charge it like under 20 minutes from like 20 percent all the way to 80 percent. Because you never really go okay. all the way up to 100 yeah. on the battery, um, so you can go like you know pretty pretty empty to pretty full in like 20 25 minutes, allegedly, um, and so. It's it's reasonable, it's workable, but the majority of people just aren't doing those trips. You might be exposed to it more if you live in like rural Canada. You have like a really long commute to work. You might think, oh no, that's not going to work for me, or it's too cold. Like in Canada, like I I would drive this Mitsubishi EV um, up in Thunder Bay for work, and like driving to these hydro plants. And the battery's capacity would be terrible. Like it's
1: like minus, Yeah, it's affected by a cold, huh? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. It's like minus twenty-five and frigid up there. And um the battery's capacity would be severely hit, like forty-fifty percent. Um and so for those use cases, it's probably not great. But don't extrapolate those use cases as what the broader population globally is going to be doing. Because most people are not traveling those extensive distances or in those remote, more cold locations. I think looking long-term, I have no ability to be confident that this is going to work for them. And that's why I exited the stock. Um, But many people have conviction the other way, and they've done exceptionally well.
1: Yep. No, well put. Now to finish off with uh, a small uh, bank merger acquisition, however we want to call it. So UBS, like you mentioned, is going to buy. I'm going to say UBS will buy. I just, that makes the most sense to me. We'll buy Credit Suisse for 3.2 billion US dollars. That's the equivalent, but it was in Swiss francs. So I think it's a, it's worth slightly more than the US dollar on a conversion basis. Now, it's another big move here because these are two uh, G-SIBs banks, so globally systemically important banks. For those unaware, Kady's Swiss is primarily an investment bank where whereas UBS offers a bit more services, they also offer investment banking, but they also offer personal commercial banking, wealth management, and other services. The 3.2 billion though is definitely misleading. As a headline figure, so it's actually a much bigger deal than that. So the Swiss government will provide nine billion to cover foreseeable uh, losses and a hundred billion in liquidity provision from the Swiss central bank, and that's actually up from last week. We had talked, or I think it was released this week, about the uh, SVP fallout, and I think I mentioned a little bit of about Crédit Suisse. Is the Swiss central bank's actually offered fifty? A bit more than 50 billion in additional liquidity so there's clearly you know there was something going on that the swiss government and swiss rental bank and i'm sure they had a lot of discussions with you know bank of canada the central the fed obviously in the u.s and all the central banks in the world so it feels like they didn't really have a choice here and the rumor is that the um, saudis which had a big stake i think just around 10 percent in Credit Suisse, were actually had a competing offer but the uh, government the swiss government didn't want to go ahead with that so what will happen is Crazy Swiss shareholders will take a 60% hit and some bondholders will be completely wiped out. And like I mentioned in the SVB episode, Credit Swiss, and I alluded here, is one of 30 GSIB banks. UBS is also one of those, just like uh, the major US banks, RBC and TD in Canada. And this is essentially the first time a GSIB bank has failed. Whether they want to admit or not that it's failed, I think the just their actions it's clear that the bank was going to fail if there was no action when you have a central bank that's providing 100 billion in liquidity clearly something is not right with this bank and it's been it's never been right since the financial crisis suisse they they were really impacted by that and in the last few years it was just getting worse and worse and worse and i actually went to their annual report just to show how things had kind of shifted in the last few years so in terms of an investment bank, or we talked about it with, um, Kathy Wood with Arc Invest, right? So you can tell whether a, a consumers or investors are confident in a bank or, you know, a certain investment product, depending on how the money is going in or out. So in 2019, there was 85 billion in inflow in Credit Suisse. 2020, 45 billion. 2021, 34 billion. And then in 2022, 133 billion outflow. And then as the news of SVB happened, there's a report saying that they were seeing outflows of up to 10 billion a day last week. Yeah. So that just kind of shows you that, you know. Yeah, that's a ton, and it shows the urgency of what was happening and why the Swiss government had to intervene. Um, Whether there's going to be some repercussions, I I really don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, but this is a pretty big thing, and there is more to the number than just the 3.2 billion headline figure. For a while now, it has felt like I'm surprised to see those inflows in 2021 even. Um yeah but I think that was also a byproduct probably of just the easy money and everyone money. was yeah cheap money so um yeah <laughs> yeah because we have
0: to me they've always like their credit suisse's balance sheet has looked like swiss cheese um like it's just so questionable and this has been how long have we talked about that last time we talked about them like a year and a half ago, you had your concerns. I remember that yeah. I remember it very clearly, and so um the writing's been on the wall here for a little bit and it, it was just same with s v b just once the dominoes fall, like the first domino falls or like a catalyst. There's a, there's a catalyst for that first domino to fall. And then, oh my God, it's like, you know, one thing leads to a next and and anyone who was kind of on the ropes, who was, you know, had a bit of a short leash got punished. and, And this is exactly why this happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I'd been reading and apparently they also had like quite a significant brain drain out from kids, which is an issue because a lot of these investment banking, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone that, you know, has a lot of clients and you leave, the clients will tend to follow you. And I think they I don't know, but I remember hearing that I think they also slash some of the bonuses for the employees so clearly this is a type of industry where bonuses are a big big thing um so things were you know we're not going great and they were trying to they had been trying to restructure the business for at least a, a year now if not more so we'll see i mean i guess uh with things are how things are going maybe we'll have additional news of th- something else happening next week I, I don't know it feels like there's banking news every single day from uh you know one form or another. Good point on talent, right? Because
0: it's it's kind of like tech. You know, these companies, it is it is a segment where you need to have the best people. Now, what I will say is, is Credit Suisse has. I don't read much much um, sell side research reports. I really don't read much sell side, but I love their sell side reports. Especially, they do an annual payments. Uh, They do an annual payments report. It's about 200 slides on this deck, which sounds ridiculous, but it's fairly digestible. And you you probably only need about 15 pages of it, which is really the guts of, of this report and it's brilliant it breaks down kind of all the players all the unit economics and payments which is you know a, a space I'm I've been particularly interested shows how the merchants and the acquirers and the visas and the mastercards and the you know the the exchanges and how all of that works and it's quite fascinating so i hope i hope they continue to do that because they have this annual payments report and it is brilliant so uh, i will give a shout out to them for that
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, we'll see. I guess uh, maybe UBS will be uh, putting those reports out. But uh, anyways, I think it was still, despite us not having that many earnings to talk about, I think it was still an eventful week or so. Where's Dollarama when you need them, huh? Soon enough. (laughs) It's coming.
0: (laughs) Where's Dollarama's quarterly report? I think we've already had 17 in 2023. Um, Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We appreciate you folks. If you're new to the show, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on the podcast player. There's a little button on Spotify to press uh, follow and uh, subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening, whether it's uh, you know Google or some of the other ones, there is a subscribe button and then you have it in your feed. And every time we have an episode Mondays and Thursdays, it's in your feed. So go ahead and do that. If you have not checked out Stratosphere.io, a lot of the data we're talking about here, a lot of the data I've talked about on the show here today, we pull directly from, and you can take 15% off a paid plan with code TCI. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.